You're listening to the Growth Experts Podcast. So if you're looking to 10X your business by learning proven growth strategies, you're in the right place. During my interviews with top CEOs, entrepreneurs, and marketers, I dig deep to uncover the real strategies, hacks, and tools to help you achieve your goals. And I'm your host, Dennis Brown. Hey, everybody. If you're interested in learning how to leverage LinkedIn for your business, this episode is sponsored by my book, The Seven Habits of Highly Successful LinkedIn Users. To get your free copy, just send a text to 44222 with the word seven habits. That's the number seven habits to 44222. Now let's get on with the show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. And today we have yet another amazing guest. His name is Kevin Zhang, and he's a 24-year-old serial entrepreneur who has successfully built seven-figure brands and is the CEO of Creator E-Commerce, a business, a global business that features over 60 team members with facilities in three countries. But more than that, his first year, his first full year in e-commerce, he did over $20 million in sales. So that's why I've got him on the show. Welcome. Welcome hey, to the show, my friend. Uh, it's great to be here. Thanks. And uh, I hope to deliver a lot of value for the listeners. Yeah. In our pre-interview here, where we'll be talking a little bit about your journey, I think you have a lot to offer. And there's a lot of people out there in my audience and across the globe here that are interested in learning how to sell e-commerce products, whether that be drop shipping, whether that be private label or whatever the case may be, Amazon and, and above and beyond that. So I'm excited that you're here. But before we do that, you know, give everybody a quick backstory. Take a, a minute or two, give us a quick backstory before we dive into the e-commerce strategies and how to grow a successful business. Yeah. So it's been a really, really wild ride. I'm one of the most, I guess, inexperienced people in the space. So it's kind of crazy that everyone's treating me like an expert now. I started e-commerce around one and a half years ago. And I actually started flirting with it in my last semester of college. I graduated from Vanderbilt in May 2018. I had a really lucrative corporate job lined up but I just wasn't really feeling it last minute. And even though I wasn't making much money, I decided to give it up, moved into my parents' basement and decided to start pursuing e-commerce full-time with my business partner. We officially started in August 2018. And by August 2019, we generated $20 million in sales, started growing a very global remote team, started building infrastructure you know, in different countries. And it's been an incredible journey and a very wild ride. And I think it's a testament to just how much opportunity there is because of the digital age. So take one minute because I have a feeling that mom and dad probably had a moment of pause when yeah, you decided more than that. Yeah, when you decided not to go with that corporate career and try to become an e-commerce entrepreneur. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so it wasn't just a moment of pause. It was a lot of angry Chinese screaming. So my parents are traditional Chinese immigrants. And ever since they came to this country, they just they busted their tails off, right? It's a classic American dream story. And my parents always wanted traditional paths for me. So my mom and dad basically wanted me to be either a doctor or an engineer my whole entire life. Throughout college, they wanted me to go a corporate route. And obviously, when I decided to go off the beaten path, moved into the basement, I had $3,000 in my bank account. At one point, I actually had $3,000 in credit card debt, a bunch of student loans because my business wasn't doing so well. And you can imagine just, I mean, it was just tension, right? Because I was living I was living in my parents' basement. They're not rich people. Vanderbilt was a very, very expensive school. 
And I guess from their perspective, it was, hey, we immigrated this country, we worked our butts off, and now our graduate son is living in the basement and getting nowhere and selling these little you know, thingies on the internet. They had no idea what I was doing, so they were less than happy for sure. But now we're a couple of years later. Yeah. And what would they say today? Yeah. Well, now I think they've kind of learned. I've always been a rebunctious kid my whole life, but I think now they've learned like, hey, he can channel that energy and that rebunctiousness to something productive and it's getting good results. So they kind of just let me go free now and they trust me to do my thing. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, results speak, right? One of the earliest things I did the moment I started making money was I helped my parents pay down the house that I grew up in. And I started a college fund for my little brother. So my mom didn't have to work overnight shifts at the hospital to pay for that. And, you know, after you do something like that, I think my parents finally understood like, hey, this isn't just shenanigans. The numbers are actually real. It's not all just fake online money. (laughs) Yeah. And they realized that the things that they had instilled in you, the work ethic, you know, the family and all that sort of stuff stuck with you. And those are the more important things than your actual job title, right? You learned how to channel it as an entrepreneur and then give back to your family. And I'm sure that that was a sign to them that they did a great job and that they didn't fail you and you didn't fail them. So that's awesome. I'm glad to hear that. So exactly. let's, um, here's a question for you. You're a young guy, right? You just got out yeah. of college not long ago. You're, you've got a business that's growing and you're developing all these new skills and you're learning a lot of things just like every young entrepreneur. And that's exciting. But let me ask you a question. If you could pick one business superpower, something that you would love to be able to do. Maybe it's not a skill set that you have right now, but something you'd love to learn how to do. Maybe maybe there's somebody out there, that, a mentor or someone that you would love to emulate. What would that skill be? What would that business skill be? Yeah. So I think that ever since starting my business and since it's growing so fast, something that I've been working tremendously on is how to be a more effective leader and also manager, right? So I think one skill set I would really just would love to be my superpower is kind of that 30,000 feet high level skill set of learning how to parallel process a lot of different work streams, learning how to bring in the right people and incentivize them in the right way. Because you can imagine I'm so young, you know, now it's like I have 60 people in my organization. And as I've grown and started working with more and more skilled people rather than just VAs, the dynamic is very, very different. And I think that's something I don't have a lot of experience in just yet. And I've seen some rough patches and hiccups as I've worked with people that you know are coming in already making a high level income or coming in knowing like, hey, I am a valuable person. I'm not just a VA that you scooped up. Navigating a big organization of people like that, I think is a superpower that I want to develop definitely in the near future and also long term. Yeah. That's something that just comes with time, right? That's just getting your feet under you as an entrepreneur and learning how to navigate people and situations and processes and everything that you mentioned. I think then that happens with time. It's one of those things that you just, there's no way to microwave yourself into that person overnight. But if you let it marinate, it, I think that you'll do an amazing job because you already are building an incredible business. Exactly. So, and it takes a few failures, right? Failure after failure after failure, I'll get to the right point. So I made some early mistakes already and I'm learning from them. And I think in a year, if you talk to me again, I'll be a lot more effective in that department. And that's what life is all about. Good. Well, listen, guys, today, just to give you a heads up here, what we're going to talk about is we're going to talk about how Kevin was able to bootstrap, right, with very limited capital, his business to eight figures, $20 million in his first year. This is an e-commerce business. He's going to walk you through a basic framework of how he started, how it's progressed, and how he's gotten to where he is today. So I'm going to turn it over to him, walk us through that framework, 
and let us know how to do it. Yeah. So I think there's really four steps, I guess, to this process. I'm going to build a very simplified framework for everyone to understand. You know, e-commerce, it just means that you're selling services or products on the internet, right? So I was selling physical products. And how you can bootstrap your way there, meaning you don't have that much capital, you don't have money for inventory and all these expensive things that a traditional business needs to invest in before they start, is kind of the dropshipping business model, right? And for those of you guys that don't know the dropshipping business model, it's essentially you're the middleman between the customer and whichever supply chain that you're using, right? So I started off very classically in e-commerce, the AliExpress dropshipping model. But while a lot of people were kind of using this business model as kind of a scheme or kind of a hustle to make money, like they're selling these gimmicky gadgets, like a moon lamp or a little race car that turns into a boat. I was like, hey, I want to replicate the biggest brands out there in the market. And they're not these single product sites. They're not these like general stores, you know, that look very distinctly dropship. They're institutional niche brands, right? Like the North Face is an outerwear brand that sells a lot of different outerwear items, snow pants, parkas, gloves, etc. So what I started doing was I started emulating these big brands and building these websites sourced from AliExpress products, right? That were these niche websites. And the moment I started achieving scale, right? This stage one is all about testing concept. You want to make sure that your concept is actually going to survive in the marketplace and that you can scale. So that's stage one. Stage two, the moment you've proven concept, and again, it's cheap to do this because you don't need inventory risk. So you can prove concept through a few thousand dollars in advertising spend. Stage two is you engage the agent or whichever supplier you're working with, and you try to get things just a lot better, better product quality, get logos branded onto products, right? get custom packaging, get faster logistics, keep customers happy. That's stage two. Then stage three is basically when you actually start building extensive infrastructure, right? Okay, I've already made one niche work. You know, Maybe I've made two or three niches work at this point. I already got a seven-figure business going on. Now let me build a massive remote-based organization that can start churning out these concepts even on autopilot when I don't have to do any of the work anymore. So now you can kind of visualize, you make one niche work. Let's say you make you know, men's apparel and accessories work. Then you make modest clothing for women work. Now you extrapolate, extrapolate, and you keep training people to save more of your time. So stage three is kind of massive scale horizontally as you're scaling vertically. And then stage four is basically now that you have all these niches, you're very, very confident in while they are kind of cash generators and they're these kind of easy cash flow businesses. Now you can build some longer term enterprise value e-commerce businesses based on those niches that you've already tested concept with. And this time you have the money to invest in inventory, right? You have the confidence and the skill set to take a bigger risk. And I guess that four-step process is something that we replicate all the time. And it's what we do day in and day out. All right. So cool. So let's start at the beginning, right? We're going to talk a little bit about this. Kind of lead me through this. So you mentioned in the test phase, obviously you're focused on drop shipping because it's very low risk, low cost. And you mentioned niche, right? Different niches. And it was, and you mentioned a couple of different niches. So how important is it to be more of a niche player as opposed to a generalist? Because I see all kinds of unusual products that you can buy all over the web, right? Ranging from, you know, those, some of the examples you gave these, you know, just doodads or knickknacks or interesting toys or whatever, right up to things like you're talking about, which is, you know, things that are really, you know, built around a brand. So tell us a little bit about that, the, the niche component. Yeah. So I think the general model just doesn't work these days because, we're seeing customer feedback standards kind of tighten, right? Facebook is a lot tighter with customer feedback and what they do with your advertising privileges. Payment processors are a lot more conscious 
about high risk merchants and don't really like this Chinese dropship business model anymore. Customers are just getting used to, you know, if you've gotten burned from general stores or a single product site before, you've probably learned your lesson. You're not going to fall for another one. So we're seeing this tightening up in this dropshipping space. And the benefit of a non-general model, because the general model is all about farming out these viral products, right? Once something kind of hits, you try to scale it to the moon, competitors come in, they steal your products, or you know, you're not building good infrastructure, you're not giving customers value, you're going to tank to the ground based on those forces I talked about. What's beautiful about a niche store is you're not competing on like a gimmicky product or the price anymore. You're competing on a brand feel. And you can actually achieve that brand feel in a very bootstrapped way. Some Photoshop, some stock images, you know, maybe take some photos at home. Your website can actually look very, very good, just like a very major brand. And the benefit of niche store is because your products don't just evaporate the moment you scale them. And it doesn't matter if other competitors start selling the same thing because you're executing on the brand level, right? It's just a lot more sustainable. It's a lot more passive. And you actually have an incentive to build that infrastructure, like faster shipping speeds, better product quality and getting things branded because you know your product's going to be around for a very long time. It's not like those up and down bell curves that a lot of these general stores kind of have with their viral products. And as a result of that, you're just a lot more stable, right? You're standing on some foundation here where, hey, I'm sending products out to customers in 10 days, not 30. My products come in with the packaging branded, with the tags on the clothing, right? With the logo on the actual physical product. Then the customer, they have no reason to complain because you are a legitimate business, right? When you are kind of dropshipping this nonsense crap and just trying to scale different viral products as they come, you have no incentive to keep customers happy. And now we're seeing in 2020, 2019, there are actually consequences to pissing off a lot of people. Yeah. So that's a really good point. And that's an interesting way to distinguish between kind of just having a little bit of a side hustle or a way to make some money and having a yep. real business, right? Building a exactly. real brand. Because brand is that, is that long-term value that's yep. hard to compete with if you've built that brand equity, right? And so here, so question for you, how much of this is involved with Amazon or non-Amazon? Is a lot of this just your own e-commerce site where you're driving paid ads to it? Or is some of this Amazon related? Yeah. So we're all Shopify. So we're all our own sites for every brand and niche concept. We build out its own site. I never wanted to get into Amazon. I don't flirt with Amazon at all because I think that's also an unsustainable model. I mean, you just have to do any amount of Google research and you know there's just horror stories of Amazon basics, Amazon essentials, you know, stealing the ideas of entrepreneurs or, you know, like they're prioritizing their own products. It just never sat comfortably with me personally, knowing that the referee, right, the person that owns this platform, the person that decides the rules is also competing against me. Like I think that's that's a crazy situation. Like I don't want to compete against Amazon on Amazon's own platform. That doesn't seem like a long term solution for me. So it's all Shopify for us. Great. Okay. Awesome. In the next phase, you talked about engaging the agent in kind of private labeling, packaging, things of that nature. How difficult is that? So it's really not. And it's all about track record, right? And it, it shocked me that a lot of people just weren't doing this in the space. If you think about it from the agent's perspective, right? What an agent is, is they're buying the excess inventory from all these factories in China that have overproduction, right? That's what AliExpress was meant for, is for these factories to get rid of their high levels of inter inventory surplus at like a wholesale price for consumers and, and now entrepreneurs. The agent is taking on all this inventory risk and what they hate, what they hate more than anything, because it's the only time they lose money is when a dropshipper comes, scales out a product, right? The agent takes on a lot of inventory, starts supplying it, and then bam, 
the dropshipper is banned off of Facebook or you know has to leave the niche or, or whatever reason. So when you're one of the few stable kind of sales generators and income generators for the agents and you ask them these things, they're going to say yes. And in fact, it's not just the carrot. There's also a stick. You can say, hey, if you don't do these things for me, I'm going to go find someone else. And every agent knows how valuable it is to have a reliable entrepreneur or a reliable dropshipper that's working with them because this, the 99%, like the status quo of the dropshipping world is, is kind of these general models where you go up and down, up and down. So they're pretty open to that. I mean, the process itself is really just a little bit of discovery on your end in regards to how you want to brand it, translating that to them. I mean, for you, that might've been a little bit easier, right? You have an Asian background, your parents are Asian, and a lot of the, I'm assuming a, a lot of the people that you're working with are in Asia or China or something where you're getting these products from. Yep. So how much of a barrier do you think it would be if you didn't have that background? Do you think, how difficult would it be then? Well, most of these agents, they actually do speak English because awesome. they recognize that it's a lot of English speaking that are dropshipping. And I think it's all about, it's all about framing, right? And it's all about the moment you start dropshipping, understanding this agent is not just some random person. Like there's value to having a good relationship with them. So, you know, if they mess up a few times, maybe don't dispute them on AliExpress just to get your money back, right? Maybe you actually reach out to them. Try to build this dialogue, right? And over time, you build a lot of trust. And these guys know English. And at the end of the day, it's like, it's a win-win situation. What do you want more than anything? You want stability, right? You want someone to make your products higher quality, faster logistics and branded so you can be stable. You want a long-term agent. That gives you more control over your supply chain right? It gives you better pricing in the long run. And the agent has a lot of essential skills. They have a full team on the ground in China. They're very good at logistics. They are very good at negotiating with factories because that's what they do day in and day out. That's a great skill set. And what they want is a stable business partner, right? They want a stable dropshipper that's going to keep pushing products so they never get screwed with inventory risk. It's really a marriage made in heaven and people just aren't proactive enough to seek this out because of their business model. You have no reason to engage an agent if you're doing a general business model because your products do get saturated very, very quick because you're only competing on product and price. Brand, when you start competing on brand, that's a psychological component of the buying experience that now supplements product and price. So just because someone else is selling the same jacket as me at the same price or even a lower price, customers are buying from me because they like the branded experience of my website. It looks professional, right? It looks like, wow, this is a legitimate brand. It's not like flashdeals.com or some like scammy site with countdown timers and all this nonsense that's just pushing a lot of random crap, right? So that is basically why, how you engage the agent, even if you don't speak Chinese, it's all about getting those results for them. And they understand, right? Everyone's out for themselves. Love it. So I think it really, the focus goes back to what I've said a million times before. It's relationship over transaction, right? Exactly. If you're focused on the transaction and just sticking a few coins in your pocket, then it's going to be short-lived. Your business is probably going to be short-lived. Your career as an entrepreneur is probably going to be pretty short-lived. Yep. If you focus on that relationship, whether that be with your customers, with your employees, and particularly with your vendors, especially when they're overseas, you definitely want to have a strong relationship there. Okay, so great. So let's pivot a little bit to the last part. And that was where you talked about that process of creating brands where you can now replicate the process of creating multiple brands. So my question to you is, what's the long-term play for you in regards to these brands? Because I've heard a lot of people talk about in the e-commerce, whether it be on Amazon or Shopify or otherwise, where they talk about building up a suite of products that are specific to a brand niche, right? And then potentially selling those that brand as a package 
to a larger brand or a private mm-hmm. equity or someone that's looking to enter that space as, as an investment. Is that kind of the model or for you, is it more long-term continue to evolve each one of these brands? What's the game plan? So there? I think of that as very much long-term, but obviously if the right exit comes in the near future or you know before you hit whatever destination you want to get to, that's obviously always on the table, right? So how I think about my brands is, is in two categories. There's kind of fast cash flow and low enterprise value, and then low cash flow, high enterprise value. The fast cash flow, low enterprise value, this is the dropshipping model that I talked about, right? It's, it's a lot more refined than your average dropshipping approach. But at the end of the day, I'm not going to get a high valuation for selling it, right? Because the products are non-proprietary, right? It's, it's all express products at the end of the day, right? I'm running a massive discount model. We're doing sales every single day. We have aggressive email marketing going on. We do a lot of discount codes. It's just kind of like you're in a way you're kind of diluting the brand value in order to make a lot of money, which, you know, it does generate a lot of capital for us. So I treat this as kind of the ATM to fund some of the riskier ventures where you're not going to be drop shipping day one. You're going to invest a lot of money in inventory, right? Where you are going to invest a lot of money into brand building, into organics that maybe doesn't get an ROI for a long time, where you aren't running heavy sales, right? You're not running heavy discounts. You're really indexed on getting even a 1.0 return on ad spend because you know there's actually a lifetime value of a customer. You know, you're doing a lot more conscious things and you're 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 able to say, like, hey, on this brand, I don't need to make money for one, maybe two years, because I'm gonna be focused on growing it and growing it the right way, right? But the only way I have this luxury of these longer term brands is because I have an ATM that not only pays for lifestyle, but is basically funding all of these longer term projects. So that's how I think about it. So an example is, you know, recently my business partner and I, we invested probably close to a million dollars on developing a streetwear line completely made out of hemp. And it'll be the world's first streetwear brand made out of weed or hemp. And it's dropping on 4-2020. We're going to get A-lister influencers on this thing, right? We have a big network of influencers working with. We're expecting to lose a lot of money on the first drop. The only reason we're doing that is because we're building up this brand. We're building a scarcity-driven model that really dominates streetwear. But in order to do that, you basically have to spend marketing dollars as if you want to sell this amount, but then actually have inventory at this amount. And the gap between demand and supply, that creates that scarcity feel, right? But that's a project that we can't take on unless we have this surplus of cash that's rolling in from our fast cash flow, low enterprise value brand. So that's how I think about my e-commerce infrastructure. And I've been spending more and more time on the longer term enterprise value brands because this side of the business has been so automated by our awesome team members. No, I appreciate that you telling me the example of that enterprise brand, which is that streetwear, that hemp streetwear. I appreciate that. On the other side of the coin, could you give us an example of a product that fits more the ATM style product that you kind of put it as that's a good cash flow product, but isn't something where you can build a real brand around? Yeah. So we do a lot of apparel and accessories, right? So if you go into AliExpress, let's say you type in men's jackets, men's shirts, you know, men's shoes, you'll probably like all the hottest selling products in there or some products on the first page, we're definitely pushing heavy volumes on. So we found our kind of sweet spot in men's apparel and accessories. And we have a lot of spinoffs of that overall theme. So, you know, we have one that's kind of like outerwear for men's, you know, we have one that, you know, was for cycling clothes, for men, right? We had one that was like, okay, boxing and MMA clothes and accessories for men, right? We have one that's kind of more preppy for men. A lot of these, right? So that's like kind of our sweet spot. And obviously all these products are from AliExpress. All these designs are from AliExpress. And sure, we will remanufacture 
when we hit scale. So the products you actually get are nothing like the AliExpress ones, but the designs are essentially the AliExpress designs, right? And because the big thing here is the sale factor, right? When you run like 70% off, 50% off, you're giving discount codes constantly, 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 you're diluting your brand. But the reason why we do that is because it boosts conversion rate by a lot, right? We're a lot more indexed on kind of picking off first-time customers. We don't really care about the lifetime value because again, this play here is, it's an APTM. I just want to sell to every single person in the world once and I'm very happy. I'll have plenty of cash if I do that to now funnel into these longer term things that maybe could be the next Dollar Shave Club or Kylie Cosmetics if we execute well, right? And that's kind of our play here. And so how, have you been able to leverage the, the customers, the high volume of customers you're gathering from the ATM non-brand products and been able to leverage that customer base, whether it be by email or direct mail or phone or whatever, as a way to sell your enterprise brand type products? Yeah, you're so, cross-selling and upselling it to your, to your more enterprise products? So we don't cross-sell or upsell because we want to keep them separate. Because you can imagine with a dropshipping business model in the early days before you build up the infrastructure for that brand, customer feedback isn't too good, right? In the long term, it becomes very good because you build up the infrastructure, but we like to keep them separate. What we do though is, for example, we did very well in kind of a tactical hunting type of niche in the dropshipping side of things. And now one of the new brands that you know, we've invested a lot of money in, you know, we're, we invest a lot of money and are executing for a very long time now, and is debuting in May 2020, is kind of these tactical joggers that make concealed carry very, very easy. There's kind of added padding. And you know, it's, it's basically this tactical jogger that looks very, very crisp and very, very clean like an Adidas or a Nike because the tactical space where you're finding is it's a lucrative space. We knew that with dropshipping, right? And now it was very functional clothes, not very stylish. So we're introducing this whole line that's kind of streetwear for tactical people. And you can bet all that data we accumulated on Facebook paid traffic the pixel data, right? The customer database, we can use that day one, right? In a legal way that is going to give us great results day one, hopefully. And the only reason why we even moved and invested a decent amount of money in creating this tactical streetwear line is because we saw all the positive intrinsics by dropshipping tactical products. So that's one big example. Love it. Well, listen, people, you just heard the basic framework of how Kevin and his partner were able to grow from nothing to over 20 million in sales in one year. And it seems to me like there's there's no end in sight. They've done an amazing job. They've learned a lot. They've put it to work. And so I'm gonna we're gonna wrap up here. A couple rapid fire questions, and then we'll wrap it up for today. What would be your favorite growth tool or product? Something like a SaaS product or an app or something that you use on a regular basis to help you grow your e-commerce business? Yeah. So I would say this is not e-commerce specific. This is kind of just overall productivity specific. You know, I have a digital whiteboard. I had a notebook for a very long time. It's kind of a lame answer, but I think mapping out what everyone in your organization is doing at all times and having transparency into what they're working on and their progress on those things, like a monday.com project management tool that has been huge in, in getting our growth, right? Growth comes from automation. When you save more of your own time as a founder or as a leader in your business, you can choose that to use that extra time to now focus on the high value activities of growing, right? Like we couldn't have this consistent awesome, strong growth. If my business partner and I were stuck in the weeds all day in our business, because we've automated so much and we rely on our management so much to kind of direct these individual work streams, now we can focus on these high level opportunities that at the end of the day really pu push the truck 
up the mountain. So I would say having transparency into your own schedule, trying to cut out as much low value activities as possible, and also doing that same thing with all of your team members. That's the best thing you can do in any business and definitely in e-commerce. Perfect. And what would be one book that maybe you've read recently or something you would recommend to the audience to help them along in their journey? Yeah. So I'll give you two answers. My favorite book of all time, just in my life, is called How to Win Friends and Influence People. At the end of the day, even as a digital entrepreneur, you realize that every business is a people-driven business. And it's always people that are going to be the big needle movers of how fast you grow and how profitable you are. And I guess a recent book, because I read that book probably once a year and I've read it like five times over. It's just so good. A recent book is called Contagious. And it's a book just basically on how things go viral, why things catch on. And I think there's a lot of marketing applications to the theories behind that. It's like a Warren business professor that analyzes like which, you know, which articles on New York Times get the most views and why, right? Which restaurants pop off on a street corner and why, which ads do very well, which YouTubers do very well. And it's, it's very stats driven, math and, and theory heaven, but it, it's so, so good of understanding like why human brains gravitate by the masses to certain things and not others. And obviously, great marketing application. Love it. Perfect. Well, listen, Kevin, let everybody know how they can connect with you, learn more about some of your e-commerce products or whatever it is that you want to help them with after this, and then we'll wrap it up for today. Yeah. So everyone, you can follow me at at Kevin Zhang official on Instagram. So just at Kevin, Z-H-A-N-G official. I respond to all my DMs. It might take a few days for me to do so. And then also, if you're interested in e-commerce, I do a free training all the time. And you can just go to kevinzang.com forward slash training. And it'll just be a 90-minute, basically, digital workshop of understanding my business model and what I do. Love it. Hey, listen, my friend, congrats on all your success. Really appreciate you being here today. And I'm sure we'll talk again soon. Awesome. It was great being here. Listeners, I want to thank you for tuning in. I truly appreciate your time. If you're enjoying the podcast, then do me a huge favor. Click the subscribe button now and please leave me a review. It would mean a lot to me.